0: It's America's longest-running talk show on computers. It's Computer America, bringing you the biggest names in technology with guest interviews, new products, and your emails. Listen live at ComputerAmerica.com on any device around the world. Email the show at live at ComputerAmerica.com or find us on social media. Be sure to check out our website for contests, giveaways, show notes, live video stream, podcasts, and more. You're listening to Computer America.
1: Hello and welcome into the Computer America show. We are the nation's longest running nationally syndicated radio talk show on computers and technology. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Crossman, and we have a great show planned for you today, where everything today will be, of course, about computer and technology news, where, uh, you know, no guests today, just uh, want to get ahead of that, And but we have plenty of stories, lots that you should definitely check out, and plenty to, of course, talk about. So a couple of things before we get started, including ComputerAmerica.com, that's where you'll find everything from any videos, articles, uh, just anything that we show here on today's program. Will be in one place so if you're busy then hey you know where to go uh also we're at computeramerica.com check out the social media contents brought to you by logitech and also be sure to check out the live video feed which you can find at twitch.tv forward slash computer america or right there at our homepage. so all that being said why don't we waste no time i hope all of you had well actually let's waste a little bit of time i guess I hope all of you had a great weekend and you, uh, you know, you did something fun, you're ready to take on this week and you're ready for some computer America. So thank you for joining us. Once again, let's go ahead and get started. Computer and technology news. Here we go. So for
0: today.
1: Today, I think our first article that we're going to do is, uh, let's see, we have them all lined up right here, ready to go. Why don't we go ahead and talk about this one? So this happened this weekend. It's, you know, this reminds me a lot of the articles that, uh, that we read about, let's say Volkswagen, for instance, where they were caught cheating on their emission standards for their diesel engines and you know when it first came out this the uh, the ceo the president the board directors they were all aghast and appalled that um something like this could happen at their facility at you know with their cars and things like that and lo and behold uh, you know much 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 later billions in dollars in fines and just a lot of actually figuring out what happened well turns out that uh you know these orders were not some rogue scientist in the laboratory that you can blame it on no rather this was policy this was something that not only Was something that uh, Volkswagen was doing, but it was also something that many other competitors were doing. Uh, Many, including, uh, you know, car manufacturers from other countries and just realizing that it was much cheaper to fake or figure out a way to beat the emission test than it was to actually develop the technology that would go into all these vehicles. And in the end, they were found out and, you know, they were punished. I don't know exactly if that's going to happen with this story, but I bring that one to compare it to this one because this story is about Amazon hired employees to tweet nice things about it, and it shows how big its reputation problems are. And I bring up Volkswagen not because I think that, you know, they're going to get fined and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, reviews and people saying nice things about you. It's all very... uh, It's all very smoke and mirrors kind of deal, but it does show, I feel, that it's not just Amazon. If Amazon is doing this, then you can bet your, is Bippy still a thing? You can bet your Bippy that a lot of other companies are doing the exact same thing. Amazon was the first to get caught doing this and to actually, I think uh, we have it here that they uh, highly encouraged their employees to do these things on social media, but any fortune 10 tech company or really any of the larger companies, I can almost guarantee that they are doing the exact same thing. So we're going to focus on Amazon. Just keep in mind that uh, these practices are seldom the, seldom the, the idea of just a singular company so here we go the article let's get started saying that amazon oh by the way this coming from sfgate.com came out this weekend saying that the company now has a small army of fc ambassadors saying saying nice things about the company online and engaging in dialogue with average twitter users Uh, the ambassadors are full-time employees according to an amazon spokesperson and it is their job to share their experiences working at a fulfillment center. So if you have not been paying attention to some of the dialogue that has been coming out from Amazon's fulfillment center, uh, there have been allegations of extreme, uh, extremely poor working conditions for those who work in the warehouses. Uh, you know, they may be paid a certain amount, which I think uh, it, you know, certainly beats the minimum wage but the amount of hours, the amount of uh, strictness, you know, restriction of bathroom breaks and things like that, uh, there have been a lot of negative things said about fulfillment centers. Well, looks like Amazon has paid ambassadors, quote unquote, to clear that up and tell about how good it is. Let's see if that works. So a quick search on Twitter reveals about 13 such employees and they seem to be uh, and they seem to be uniform in both their online presence and talking points, so that's also a dead giveaway that they were given their you know their personal experiences. And 13 people all share the exact same talking points. It really shows that you know this is manipulation rather than you know uh, any kind of dissemination of information or at least accurate information. So they routinely engage their tweets from low profile users discussing a few subjects that portray Amazon in a negative light, which include pay for warehouse jobs, employee bathroom breaks and the temperature of the warehouses, which we've also heard, you know, can be over 90 to hundred degrees, which, you know, while not comfortable by any means, when you're doing very labor intensive uh, warehouse work, that could be, you know, dangerous. No other way to put it. It could be very dangerous. So the ambassadors also seem to back each other up when they face criticism or pushback from users who call them bots. And in a statement to business insider, Amazon said that the FC ambassadors are all Amazon employees who have worked in warehouses saying that quote, the most important thing is that they've been here long enough to honestly share their facts based on personal experiences And they said that uh, it's important that we do a good job of educating people about the actual environment inside our fulfillment centers and the FC ambassador, which I now realize means fulfillment center ambassador, uh, program is a big part of that, along with the fulfillment center tours that we provide. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it seems to be getting a bit sticky. And as I said before, really want to reiterate that. Amazon paying people to speak nicely about their operations on social media to the average person isn't something that that is unique to Amazon. Rather, Amazon is probably one of hundreds of companies that pay people or their employees or highly incentivize people that they pay to go on and to, you know, hey, Speak nicely about the company, so let 's go ahead and skip a little bit uh, down into the story. They said that uh, while jeff bezos 's wealth has increased two hundred and sixty million every single day this year that 's a weird factoid, but I strangely am so enthralled while jeff bezos 's wealth has increased two hundred and sixty million dollars every single day this year, he continues to pay many amazon employees' wages so low that they're forced to depend on taxpayer-funded programs such as food stamps, Medicaid, and public housing to survive. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the the economics debate, but uh, yeah. So many on Twitter said that they would boycott shopping on Amazon Prime Day in July due to reports about poor working conditions inside Amazon warehouses and a concurrent strike from workers in Spain. Amazon has defended its working conditions, and Amazon has also been criticized, fairly or not, seeking tax breaks. Although we have talked about that and Hey, you know, it's only good business if you're going to go hunt down a tax break. So again, the main thrust of the story, uh, Amazon has 13 people on payroll who they, who they say have been fulfillment center employees at Amazon and who are paid to strictly go on social media, find people talking bad about Amazon. And then, uh, I guess argue with them and say that no no no, Amazon isn't that bad. That's their job day in and day out is to defend Amazon on social media. Um this is the way that uh that marketing is going to go. And really this is a form of marketing. It's uh it's very underground and very um you know, it's not advertised. It's not saying, "Hey, Amazon is paying for this ad," but it very much is exactly Amazon paying people and eventually, you know, and actually paying, uh, for advertising that puts Amazon in a better light. This is something that a lot of companies are going to do or have already done. Uh, you see it all the time. It's called shilling and it happens more often than you think. And I think it's going to be, it, it's, it's probably, it's probably going to be cracked down more and more. We already have stricter laws on, when to label something in advertisement and those will probably be widened to include behavior such as this especially when it's employees who are you know strictly paid to uh to speak up a company so yeah let's go ahead and uh and yeah let's go ahead and switch over from this article which happened just a couple days ago to uh, some of these other ones and I think this next one is, this is the one, honestly, I've been waiting for. I have not had a chance to check out, uh, Netflix's stock price. I'm sure that it's probably not having a, well, you know, it's not down. It's, it's doing pretty good. It's not down. Well, let's just say that, but this is kind of what I've been looking for and it's Disney's long awaited competitor to Netflix. Yeah, and now we have Disney Play, if you want to add that to your vocabulary very quickly. Uh, You know, we have Hulu, we have Amazon Video, we have uh, Netflix, of course, we have HBO Go, we have any number of streaming services from Showtime and, you know, these other services. Well, Disney Play is the newest, latest, and will probably, by the end of 2019, will be the greatest of these streaming services on the market. Simply because Disney, if you have not been paying attention, owns about 40% of all box office sales in the United States. If, you know, so $4 out of every $10 uh, made or earned on movies, you know, if th- big theatrical releases, 4 out of every 10 of those dollars goes directly back to Disney. And that's just one company. That's one company. It's incredible, so when they open up a streaming service, they're going to be massive. So they said that it's been about a full year since Disney first made public its intentions to go ahead to uh, is I'm sorry to go head to head, there we go, with Netflix. And they said that in the intervening months, the media giant has started the process of pulling content from streaming services uh, one second. There we go. So, yeah, uh, they said that uh, in the intervening months, the media giant has started the process of pulling content from streaming services bit by bit, which really took a lot of people by surprise. That's why a lot of the, uh, you know, Netflix for a while there was the exclusive first premiere uh, on streaming services for a lot of Disney movies. And then they said that they were going to break that contract and, you know, took a, uh, Netflix took a big hit. And now we know why. And while Disney isn't planning to launch the product anytime uh, until sometime next year, the at least we finally got a name. Where Bob Iger is calling the video service Disney Play, and that coming from a report from Variety. So, yeah, let's see, let's see, let's see. So uh, they said that from the sound of things, however, it's going. It's going all in on its plan to beat Netflix and its ilk at their own game, along with an extremely strong slate of exi- of existing films. The company just got some big titles just over the horizon. So there's Marvel's Captain, uh, there's Marvel's well Captain Marvel, the final installment of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and sure-fire, surefire sequels like Frozen 2 and Toy Story 4, and then there's the original content led by a live-action Star Wars series. Helmed by the Iron Man director. And uh, yeah, all those and more. All those IPs are going to be on one single streaming service. If you have a kid, then, you know, Disney's a shoe-in for kids. If you like superhero movies, uh, you know, DC Universe, you're trying your best. Uh, keep, keep going for it. But Disney and Marvel have everything on the whole superhero genre, comic book genre. Uh, if you like uh, really just any, you know, the Star Wars. Star Wars is big in its own right. All that more. If you like any of that, then you're going to be very tempted to check out Disney as opposed to Netflix. I'm not saying that, the uh, only like really the thing that I think Netflix, well, actually I take that back. Disney purchased... Fox, or at least the Fox entertainment uh, uh, subsidiaries. So I was about to say Disney's weakness is in their television shows, which, you know, they have the the Disney Channel, which targets a younger audience. But now that they own Fox and everything, you know, FX related, things like that, I, I can't see how anyone can even compete with Disney. So again, looking forward to it. And Disney Play, that is the name. Don't forget it. Coming out sometime next month. R- ripping off Google Play. Uh, you know, I think that they chose Disney Play simply because Disney, um, even though they are a very litigious corporate entity, they uh, you know, there's definitely suits at the top who uh, keep their stranglehold on the uh, media empire that is Disney. I think Disney still has a lot wrapped up in in Mickey Mouse and Disneyland and Disney World and being a toy line and, you know, just being a fun company. So, uh, obviously, there is Google Play. um, You know, there's no denying that that came first. But Disney Play, I think they're trying to, you know, kind of work in the fact that, hey, we're still fun and caring even though we pull the strings for, well, everything. So... Yep, I don't see that changing. Disney Play, pretty good name. There, there you have it. Okay, so let's switch up and talk about. Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. So we have a couple here, and some that are okay. So I'm from Florida. You know, uh, for twenty-some odd years, lived in Florida, and over the time there, we had a couple uh, environmental, well, ongoing environmental disasters one of them being a uh, an invasion of the burmese python in the florida everglades they have very few natural predators they eat the wildlife and bird and otherwise these uh these pets you know people purchase these pythons pets would release them or so they thought humanely into the everglades to live turns out they breed like crazy and they eat everything in sight so there's that one there you know invasive species are a huge problem the other one is off the coast of florida where you know they have uh, they have a lot of reefs there are there are lots and lots of ecosystems that are fragile just because of you know the whole uh you know climate change and what have you uh drilling what have you but There's another invasive species called the lionfish. If you've never seen these things, they're called lionfish because they have a lot of spines and they kind of look like they have uh, big old manes. But they're spiny. They're mean. They are uh, very prone to to reproducing. And the worst of all, I think, is that they're venomous. They kill anything that eats it and they will actually attack other fish. So they have seasons where you, uh, they actually pay spe- uh, people who can spearfish and, you know, they actually uh, have like competitions to see how many, uh, how many lionfish that you can catch, uh, how, how much can you keep their population in check. But people can only do it for so long. I guess that's where killer robots come in. And now we have this, uh, this article from Engadget saying that spear-toting robot can guard coral reefs against invasive lionfish. And I know what you're thinking. But Ben, arming robots with the very fundamental spear, isn't that a danger to humans? Probably. But, hey, at least we're not giving them guns just yet. Right now, just spears. So this coming to us from John Vangas and uh yeah saying that lionfish are threats to not only fragile coral reef systems but the divers who keep them in check. They not only take advantage of unsuspecting fish populations but carry poisonous barbs that make them challenging to catch. Where student researcher at uh, at, at Worcester po- uh, Polytechnic Institute may have a solution, which is a robotic guardians. And they've crafted an autonomous robot, which you can see if you're watching the video portion, you can see uh, you know, the image that they included here. Uh, doesn't look too threatening. I think we're okay. I think we're okay. So they said that uh, they crafted an autonomous robot that can hunt lionfish without requiring a tethered operator that could harm the reefs. So the bot attaches to an existing submersible robot and relies on computer vision, which is trained on thousands of photos, although, you know, we've talked about computer vision in the past week, and I hope that they really train this thing really, really well. To spot examples of the invasive species and jab them with one of its eight spears. Each spear tip is detachable and buoyant, so any successful kill sends a fish to the surface, and the machine is well-suited to the realities of the ocean, where it is both resistant to saltwater corrosion and uses an airtight chamber to maintain buoyancy after every spear use. So let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, They said that uh, the automation isn't ready for service yet. A follow-up group of students will work on navigation system that can help the robot create a 3d search grid. If that's successful though, the robot could become a valuable part of the reef defense and, uh, and yeah, It's, uh, uh, again, you know, uh, living in Florida, coming from Florida, uh, having a lot of friends who spearfish, I never got into the sport. I'm horrible with diving, but, um, it's, it's, it's an ever growing problem. And I think throwing robots at it is a very topical kind of way to deal with it. I don't think it's going to be the best way. I really hope that they aren't going to start, you know, hitting, uh, Hitting other kinds of fish that are not meant to be just, you know, killed on sight. But, um, yeah, hey, it's like a robot. It's like a an ocean Roomba with spears. I like it. I like the idea. I definitely liked it. So, let's see, let's see. Let's go ahead and, uh, and yeah, ho- hopefully no one's wearing their lionfish costume to the beach. So... Let's see. So there's that story. Again, love it when robotics tries to tackle real-world problems. I know it's very difficult, but if something can do it right, it, uh, it, it can save a lot of man hours and hopefully save a lot of um, you know indigenous fish. So there's that one. Let's go ahead and switch on over to – how about the rumor mill? We haven't talked much about uh, – actually, no. Switching gears, even faster, really – this one kind of sort of matches up with the story that we just did. So the two are so parallel, I don't want to miss this. Uh this one from The Verge and it's a bit of a longer article, so we'll just kind of, you know, kind of skip through it. And this is actually an interview that was done with uh with the United uh, let's see, let's see. This was a uh, man this was an interview with Mandeep Gill and his official job, though he won't admit it himself, He said that he's the chairman of the United Nations Convention on Conventional Weapons, meetings on lethal autonomous weapons, and he has the task of shepherding 125 member states through discussions on the thorny, technical, and ethical issue of killer robots. And if you're watching the video portion, they have a very easy kind of figure to show you just what a killer robot would look like. Imagine uh tank treads, uh a a base and essentially just a rotating uh, just a rotating uh mounted rifle. It's really not much more complicated than that. It's a gun on wheels with nothing to uh you know to even combat it. Is this right? Is this proper? That's uh well, that's Mandy that is Mandeep Gill's job, saying that it's subject that has attracted a glaring media spotlight and the pressure from the NGOs like Campaign to Stop Killer Robots, which is backed by Tesla, uh, by Tesla's Elon Musk and Alphabet's Mustafa uh, Suleiman, Mustafa to ban such machines outright. So you can ban these things. And, you know, recently we had a lot of conversations about the idea of a 3D printed gun and you can Try to ban those, even though it is very much impossible. The technology to create it is out there. So the technical details of creating something once the technology or the ability to create something once the technology is there, uh, that is trying to get that genie back in the bottle. So we're going to see the same thing here. Uh, should killer robots be, uh, banned altogether and that and that's what we're gonna talk about today. So let's see robots controlling drones. We're a step closer to Terminator. And you know Terminator is always the go-to uh, Terminator is always the go-to movie about killer robots. But I I, I feel like even even like uh, movies like iRobot, Terminator, anything like that, they still have robots that had some form of consciousness that showed that robots are going to kill humans because that's what the robots want. That's what the prime directive or whatever sci-fi thing that they cooked up uh, robots want to kill humans. That is what made the movie great is because there wasn't uh you know, it was man against machine. It was a very primal kind of thing, but in the near future, and especially in the next 20, 30 years, Uh, Killer robots are actually going to be uh, kind of like a Roomba, kind of like a toaster. It's just what they're programmed for. They're programmed to see people who are most likely in in a specified area. Maybe, 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 maybe they'll be able to identify if they have a firearm or if they are armed or not. And if they take an aggressive stance, they're going to be able to, well, shoot them on sight it's war without putting anything anything of yourself out there which sounds great for the person who's able to develop these weapons but when you're able to leave it up to the hands of someone who is extremely detached from the situation who is extremely uh maybe continents away who has uh you know who is looking at a computer monitor there is no uh or at least there's less of a connection with uh, with what you're doing. So obviously it's a very complex issue, and hey, that's why this, that's why we have this article here. So they said that uh, Gill has a has has to corral national de- uh, delegations, diplomats, lawyers, and military personnel, as well as academics, AI entrepreneurs, and de- uh, industry associations, humanitarian organizations, and NGOs in order for member states to try to reach a consensus on this critical security issue so obviously he has a lot of parties to work with and there's going to be a lot of different viewpoints uh obviously a uh, an ngo is not going to have the same point of view as a military personnel on the uh, on the ramifications of a killer robot so they said that the uh, the subject can can spark heated emotion. The Future of Life Institute, a nonprofit that works to mitigate existential risk facing humanity, which is a great thing that that nonprofit is doing, uh, mitigating existential risk facing humanity, such as artificial intelligence, launched its sensationalistic short film Slaughterbots, which uh, I think they include in the article here. Uh, it's essentially. I think that one was, and I've seen parts of it, that's the one where they take like a Black Mirror-esque kind of future and take things to the nth degree to their admittedly somewhat logical conclusion, but it's a dystopian near future uh, near future menaced by homicidal drones. So folks, music means that we're going to take a break. We'll be right back and we'll finish up this article and move on to others. Everyone, Computer America, Computer Technology News. Stay tuned.
0: travel it's that easy so call now and start packing 800-215-4461 800-215-4461 800-215-4461 that's 800-215-4461
2: we are all brother wolf Ten years ago, a group of locals banded together to create positive change. We took animals into our homes, held adoption events at local retailers, and talked to the community about our mission to help build a no-kill Asheville. A decade later, we have achieved so many victories for animals in need. There's been so much progress, yet there's still so much to do. As part of our year-long celebration, we encourage you to become a member of our special Compassionate Circle program. With a monthly donation of $10 or more, you will have behind-the-scenes access to the work we are doing at Brother Wolf. Our goal is to reach 1,000 members because we receive no government funding. Working together, we can help build and sustain no-kill communities. Learn more at CompassionateCircle.BWAR.org. We are a 501c3 tax-deductible organization.
1: And welcome back to the Computer America Show. Uh, we are 32 minutes past the hour, and if you miss any part of today's program, you can, of course, check us out on uh, you know wherever podcasts are heard. The podcast of Computer America is simply today's show in its entirety, uh, rebroadcast wherever podcasts are heard. And uh, I think in the coming weeks and months, we're going to try to focus on actually adding additional content to, uh, you know, to some of our conversations here. So the podcast uh, we've traditionally kept it very constrained to the hour-long radio show that we have uh, featured on, on on IRN. There we go. Uh, hard to say that today. But I think, uh, obviously, the podcast itself does not have any of those constraints. So it's been an hour. And I think uh, going forward, we may actually, you know, if we have a guest who's staying along or if we feel like we want to talk about something or add more content, then there is no reason why we shouldn't be able to. Uh, continue on and add that to the podcast so for now it's just a free of of today's show but maybe in the future and we will certainly let you know if we do something that you should check out uh, on the podcast but um but yeah wherever podcasts are heard and we are still uh you know we are still waiting on the spotify announcement but uh yeah computer america has been submitted to spotify so coming soon all right so Let's uh, let's continue on talking about killer robots. The idea that um, hey, the United Nations is going to have to lead a talk among 125 different countries, along with a number of different organizations who all have a very vested interest in either denying or approving, uh, you know, automated machines that are capable of taking over uh, military operations. So we already have things such as drones, we have things, uh, you know, that to a certain extent, they're controlled by a person, you know, uh, maybe even states or miles or even countries away, but artificial intelligence as we know it has not really been utilized as far as we know in a military capacity, uh, you know, to the point of which we've let a robot make the final decision whether or not to pull the trigger. as far as I know, that decision has always been up to, uh, some kind of oversight, uh, while technology may alert to a threat, the threat itself and how best to deal with it or react to it has always been left up to an individual, whether or not that's the best course of action or, uh, you know, just kind of what should happen. That's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about here in the future. And, uh, and yeah, so the, uh, so there's an, uh, there's an interview here. Uh, we included a link to it in the show notes if you want to read the the interview in its entirety, but they said that, uh, an engineer, uh, let's see, there's, there's still talk about, uh, Mr. Gill, who is of course the one leading the, uh, you know, lead, leading the chairman and the interview itself, but let's go ahead and say, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and finish about the agenda. So the four agenda items are first the character the characterization of the issue, and here are the questions that they're going to be asking everyone and you know for their input. How do you define lethal autonomous weapon systems? Second, what should be the nature of the human element in the use of force through such systems? So I assume that the first one, as in how do you define lethal autonomous weapon systems? because if you say anything with the ability to uh to kill a person that has some kind of autonomous function you know suddenly you're turning every autonomous car into a banned uh you know into a banned vehicle that's not what they're aiming for they really need to narrow down something that is clearly an instrument of war something that uh is solely designed to take people's lives and they have to define in very clear terms, what is and what is not against the rules. Uh, second, what should the nature of human element be through uh, in the use of force through these systems? So is there a human who will be checking and balancing? Is the human there simply there to facilitate the oper- uh, you know making sure that the robot is operational and that all of its systems are running efficiently? Or does the human actually have final say over any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of force? Uh, Third, what should the human machine interface uh, when such a system, I'm sorry, what should be the human machine interface when, when such machines are deployed or developed? So how are we going to control these things? Is there going to be a smartphone app? Do we have to go to the Google Play Store to download our autonomous killer robot app? Or are we going to use VR, AR, or, uh, you know, direct line of sight uh, through a monitor, through cameras? Uh, how are humans actually going to monitor and, uh, you know, monitor them as they're deployed? Uh, the third item, what are the various options for dealing with the international humanitarian law and the international security related concerns coming from the potential deployment of such systems so let's see what are the various options for dealing with the international so yeah i I mean you know if these are put into place how do we react and say hey that should not be deployed that should not be in this area Uh, think of the humanitarian side of it and how do we uh, i guess how do we stop these things in case something bad happens So the last point that he makes is the fourth point is about technology review in the field, more than any other today, technology is evolving very rapidly. So we've seen, so you want your policy response to be tech neutral. They should not have to be fundamentally revised when technology changes. At the same time, you want to make sure that the implementation stays in step with technical developments. And in the August meeting is it is his hope that, uh, that, we can, that they can come to an end of the meeting with a good report that captures the, some building blocks in these four areas. So, seems very measured. Seems like he knows exactly what he's trying to do with these meetings. Unfortunately, um, I, it, it kind of sounds Isaac Asimov-esque as we're going forward to say, hey... Um, as we move forward and we say, we need essentially those, uh, those robotic laws that say, you know, you cannot harm humans and, you know, anything should be done to save a human. If you save a human, uh, or if you harm one, you can only harm one in order to save another things like that. Those are great in science fiction. Don't really work in the real world. And certainly not when private enterprise is the one designing these robots. So yeah i'm i'm looking forward to see what they actually come up with because these systems if they're already not if they're not already in use then they are already augmenting uh the human force that we have uh in in terms of military and especially you know hey just coming from computer america and america in, in particular i have no doubt that ai is being used extensively just it's going to be a scary day when a computer runs its analysis, runs its risk assessment, and decides that that human should no longer be alive. And that's what we're trying to head off. So, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that. Okay, I won't lie; that one got a little heavy. Let's let's do something a little bit lighter, a little bit more. Uh, let's see what's on the fun side. The fun, fun, fun. Let's talk about. So close. Let's talk about the iPhone rumor mill, as we said before. So the iPhone, if you recall, they are now coming out with reportedly three different iPhones. So gone are the days is simply the iPhone and the iPhone plus, whether it be the five, six, seven, eight, whatever you want to call it. Looks like they are keeping the three iPhone iteration yet again. And this coming from Ars Technica talking about all three iPhones coming this fall will reportedly have edge-to-edge displays. Whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, we'll find out. But it seems we have a new precedent in what constitutes a fancy, good, high-quality phone. So as September approaches, so too does the release of the iPhones from Apple, a report from Bloomberg, provides a few details about the new smartphones that we can expect from the tech giant this fall, along with the insights into Apple's overall strategy. And the main rumors still stand. Apple is expected to to debut three phones in September with the goal of diversifying its product line with various sizes and prices to attract new customers. Now, in the past, uh, let's see, the, the latest iteration, we of course had the iPhone 8, the 8 Plus, and the iPhone 10, or many people call it the iPhone X. The iPhone 10 was supposed to be the 10th anniversary edition, where it's a bit more futuristic, it's a bit more techie. Obviously, the costs were, uh, you know, it was one of the first phones over $1,000, or one of the first smartphones that started at $1,000. But of course, with, uh, with Samsung going ahead and saying, eh, whatever, we came out with a $1,200 phone. Uh, Yeah, that taboo has been shattered, broken, and no one really cares about it anymore. So I think that there's going to be like an iPhone 9 and 9 Plus, but iPhone might try to go the other direction. If you recall, there was the iPhone 5C. The iPhone 5C was uh, a little bit more affordable, a little bit less flashy, slower processor, slower RAM, Uh, things like that, but it did capture a certain segment of the market that Android was really leveraging. So I would not be surprised if Apple were to, Hey, you know, kind of go that route instead of going insanely high, bump up their baseline iPhone nine and nine plus, you know, make them more expensive and add a few more bells and whistles. And then, Hey, actually, uh, you know, go a little bit lower end on the specs. That's what I would like to see. I don't think that's what the third phone is. So let's go ahead and get into this article. It said that the report suggests that Apple will reveal a new high-end iPhone with a display close to 6.5 inches, which would make it the largest iPhone ever. That's huge. Uh, It would also be the second iPhone to have an OLED display, uh, a premium feature that uh, to be carried over from last year's iPhone X. This handset will be a glass back, stainless steel edges, and the ability to show two apps side-by-side in a split screen, as if that feature was needed. I I guess someone needs it. I don't know. So, Apple will update the current iPhone X with a faster processor and an upgraded camera. Otherwise, last year's flagship flagship $1,000 smartphone will remain unchanged. So it looks like the iPhone X is sticking around just a few minor upgrades. The third iPhone model will sit between the 5.8 iPhone X and the new 6.5 inch high-end smartphone, which will measure 6.1 inches diagonally. So they'll have a 5.8, a 6.1, and a 6.5. And this will be the most affordable model that has been rumored for quite some time, featuring a cheaper LCD screen instead of an OLED uh, panel. It will also come in multiple colors and have aluminum edges instead of the stainless steel ones. And constructing the handset with an LCD panel and aluminum will keep costs down, allowing Apple to keep the price of this model lower than the others. So I was, uh, hey, you know, a little bit justified. Uh, of course, Apple's the Apple. They won't, um, you know, they won't be like the next Chromebook, but they'll still be probably somewhere in the mid-range Android phones, which is something that I- Apple has been uh, really avoiding for the past couple of years. So all models will share some features that were introduced in the iPhone X, including edge-to-edge displays, gesture control instead of the instead of the traditional home button. And Face ID. If you were one of those that were really hoping that uh, Face ID was not coming to a phone near you, uh, yeah, look elsewhere other than Apple. People familiar with the matter quote name the uh, name this year an S year, meaning that the forthcoming phones will look similar to those from the previous year, with certain internal improvements. Oh, okay, so iPhone, so maybe like an iPhone. Uh, 8S, 8S Plus, uh, iPhone XS, or whatever they're going to call it. Essentially, these are the interim uh, kind of little upgrades. So, the article wraps up by saying that uh, it's unclear how the three new phones will be priced, but high-end handset will likely start at about $1,000, just like it did last year. And the new lineup represents a continuation of what Apple has been doing for years slowly raising iPhone prices and hoping the multiple sizes and price variants will attract new customers. So, you know, and, and it goes into the iPad pro and the Apple watch and the and the AirPods and blah, blah, blah. Don't feel like getting into all that. Just know that uh yeah, we're, we could be looking at a cheaper, more affordable iPhone coming this September. So in a couple of weeks, we'll know definitively just what we're looking at. There's that one. Let's go ahead and talk about, so something that we alluded to would happen in a roundabout way seems to have come true. Fortnite's Android vulnerability leads to Google Epic Games spat. So Google, everyone knows who Google is. Epic Games, if you don't know who they are, they are the producers, or I guess uh, producers, of the, or I'm sorry, developers. That, that's the right word. They're the developers of Fortnite. Fortnite, if you have not heard, is currently the largest game in the world. It is explosive in growth, and it is crazy just how many just how many people play this. Like seriously, uh, it was something like two hundred fifty thousand. What no nine thousand two hundred and fifty million mobile downloads. This game has. It is a phenomenon so, Epic Games' popular shooter Fortnite has been out on Android for just a few weeks, uh, for just a few weeks, and already there are concrete examples of some of the security fears brought about by the game's unique distribution method. Uh, Google disclosed a vulnerability in the Fortnite installer that could trick the installer into installing something other than Fortnite. So, it looks like uh, Google did some bug bounty research for uh, for Fortnite. And yeah, they uh, let's see. Someone tried to correct Fortnite because of that game. Yeah, uh, and, and Fortnite is just everyone is crazy. Tra- is, you know, Fortnite is just crazy, crazy uh, popular. And yeah, they tried to correct f- uh, Fortnite, which obviously would be ten days or two weeks or something like that. Yeah, Fortnite is definitely more popular than the old English phrase Fortnite. But they said that the security risk, getting back to the article, the secu- uh, Yeah, the security risk, as per the article, said that the launcher, because they couldn't install the game directly from the website, they had to download an installer onto the Android phone, which would then install the Fortnite game itself. The launcher, or the installer, was unfortunately able to uh, be used to distribute any kind of... Uh, you know, any kind of software. So getting the installer means that users must allow unknown sources, uh, installation through the browser, and they have to make sure that they are actually downloading Fortnite from Epic games and not just a website claiming to be Epic games. And again, all of this was the pain point over they Fortnite did not want to pay Google 30% of the in-app purchases For, uh, you know, for the game, because if you don't think this game is making money, this game is making buku bucks. It is incredible how much money this game is printing and they do not feel the need to pay Google 30% for simply being the distribution method. So they went out on their own. The Fortnite installer was vulnerable to a man in the disc attack. The installer after downloading the game could have the android apk file swapped out with a malicious copy by a third-party app just before it was installed the vulnerability only worked on samsung devices the exclusive launch oem for fortnite on android and according to google bug report on samsung phones the fortnite installer used a private galaxy apps api where Samsung API stores, uh, the download files in Android's external storage, which is world readable leading to the security problems. Google's bug report even mentions that using a private internal storage directory rather than the external storage would help avoid this vulnerability. So some simple, uh, some simple recoding on how the, uh, on how the store, how on how the installer is stored would clear this up, but Google is not letting Fortnite off the hook that easily. So Samsung's API only checks that the, that the APK being installed matches the package name com.epicgames.fortnite. Package names on Android are no more secure than file names, and consequently, anyone can make an app that passes this check. A malicious app could wait for the Fortnite installer to download an update, swap out the com.epic Games.fortnite APK before the install happens and the fortnite installer would install the malicious app so to make matters worse if the fake apk has a has of course uh, has a target sdk version of 22 or lower or essentially uh, a a fake apk uh has a version of the operating system it will be granted any permission it asks for at install without the user's knowledge. So they'll be able to get just, you know, a lot more than just, you know, installing a piece of malware, but they'd be able to get uh, everything from, you know, anything stored on the phone to photos, uh, contacts, things like that. And because of the way that this is installed, if you're able to do it on one, you're able to do it on all of them. So, I don't think that the security flaw is really that bad. Um, You know, clearly now that they've, uh, you know, now that they've let it out and into the wild, uh, they can patch it, they can fix it. But Google, by doing this themselves, by Google actually going out and saying, hey, here is your security flaw, it's Google trying to make a statement that you avoided the Google Play Store and there are innate problems with that. Here's one, and they listed the uh, the security flaw, and hopefully, I think in Google's mind, someone at Fortnite is going to go, well, maybe we should have just used the Google Play Store so we wouldn't have been vulnerable to this, and it's a little petty, but it's also a legitimate security threat, so hey, you know, more power to them. There you have it, that's, uh, you know, I think that's as far as we're going to take that one, but Fortnite should still be okay, and as always, install any security updates as soon as you get them because they are extremely important. So let's see, let's see, let's see. So there's that. We have time for like one more, uh, one more story here. This one was pretty interesting. So ARVR, we've talked about it quite a bit recently. Here's a new application I had never thought to actually use it for. So we're going to throw up the video here on the video portion if you want to check that out. But this by Motherboard, a virtual reality dog could prevent dog bites. And for anyone out there listening to the radio program, imagine a room, fairly plain, you know, two walls, a corner, a dog in the corner, uh, some VR furniture, really nothing, you know, extreme. So, but the dog in the corner is showing certain signs that, uh, you know, if you don't know a lot about dogs, maybe the dog would just look kind of normal, you know, just kind of sitting there. But if you know anything about dog kind of, uh, behavior, you can see the dog there licking its lips, showing its teeth, uh, panting, uh, putting its ears back. Again, this is all a cartoon dog. This is not a real dog. This is all a VR dog. And as you physically get closer with your VR app, the dog will start to display more and more distressing body language. And the app developers of this are hoping, they're hoping that by doing this with a virtual reality dog who cannot bite you, who cannot um, attack you, that you maybe learn what a, uh, that you maybe learn what, the signs are of a dog attack and especially for kids or, you know, and as it, and as the report here shows about, uh, 6,740 uh, 6, patients were admitted to the hospital in 2013 for dog attack, for dog attacks, maybe just maybe if people learned how to read a dog's behavior, they'd be able to mitigate the amount of dog attacks that actually happen. So there's some very clear signs. I, you know after seeing the video it looked a little cheesy it looked a little corny but uh but they were a very good representation of what a dog would look like if they start to get agitated especially if they're in a corner especially if they start to uh pant and put their ears back and show their teeth and lick their lips uh little things like that hopefully uh hopefully a lot of people out there listening to this already know how to uh... not mess with dogs to the point of being bitten but if you don't let's see i believe this was uh... the actual name of this if you want to check it out and you have a vr program uh... this was created by the virtual engineering center and they developed dogs trust so and this is a vr program so there you have it i just thought it was a pretty interesting use of vr to actually put someone in a situation that would otherwise be dangerous. You know, it's uh you clearly would not want someone in the room with a dog who would be prone to biting, even for educational purposes. You don't want to distress a dog just so that you can learn this, but hey, you know, a VR computer program, no one would, uh, <laughs> dog's teeth in your ankle. Yes, dog's teeth in your ankle. That is also a very strong sign that the dog is unhappy with your presence and will soon be moving those teeth up your ankle and to other places. So, folks, don't get attacked by dogs. That's uh, that's my wish for you. And in the meantime, we're about flat out of time. So some of the stories that we were unable to get to because we uh, we only have a couple of seconds here. Uh, Tesla, you may have heard of them. Tesla semi trucks are moving across the country. They look very very cool. And while they do have a driver in the driver's seat, they are autonomously navigating this country's highways to deliver cargo from one country or from one coast to the next. We also have uh, articles about uh, Facebook banning uh, Myanmar military officials who were using propaganda, and also Sprint had a security breach. So, if you are a Sprint customer storing data on Sprint servers, then Uh, I'm sorry, this was a hijacked cell phone number. So, potentially, people have been hijacking your Sprint cell phone number. So, yeah, maybe we'll get to that. Maybe maybe we won't. But, uh, everyone, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Computer America. It's been a lot of fun, of course. And uh, if you missed any part of today's show, again, check out the podcast version of today's program. If you'd like Check out ComputerAmerica.com. We have two reviews up. We are working on three or four more to get them up sometime this week. And until next time, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern, we do Computer America on IRN and live on Twitch.tv forward slash Computer America. Check us out. Until next time, have a great one. Bye, everyone.